Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, we're going to do things a little differently. I'm delighted to welcome Bela Lovins and Randy Brenowitz, who are going to chat with me about my new novel, Shadows We Carry, which will be published next week. Both Randy and Bela are active and valued members of my Facebook group, Jews Love to Read, and they've read an advanced reader copy of my new book. Bela was born and grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, following undergraduate studies at Ithaca College and University of Massachusetts. She earned a master's degree in elementary education at Leslie College. She taught English as a second language before deciding to pursue an MSW degree in New York at Yeshiva University. In New York, she met and married her husband, Herb, and ultimately settled in Port Washington on Long Island. Bela has been involved in working in the Jewish community, both professionally and as a volunteer for most of her life. Like her mother and grandmother before her, she is a member of Hadassah. It is under the influence of those two women that she developed her lifelong love of reading, which she joyfully shared with her two children and now with her four young grandchildren. Randy Brenowitz grew up in Brooklyn, New York. She holds a BS in history and education from Northeastern University and an MBA from Babson College. She spent many years as a human resources and organization development consultant in the high-tech industry. She then brought these skills into her work at the Oshman Family Jewish Community Center, where she held several senior staff positions. Randy has been active in the Jewish community ever since she was president of Brooklyn Region BBG in high school. She <laughs> served in numerous leadership roles, including World Ort, Reconstructing Judaism, and various congregations and day schools. Randy has just been elected to her second term as the international president of the board of the Melton School for Adult Jewish Learning. She's an avid reader, mostly of historical fiction, which she considers akin to Midrash. Randy lives in Palo Alto, California, with her husband, writer and therapist, Dr. Marty Klein. So welcome, Randy and Bela. I'm so honored um, to have you here. I'm honored to have you as wonderful members of Jews Love to Read. And believe it or not, we've never met in person, but I feel like we we know each other well and we're friends. And I'm hoping to um meet Bela in person soon. Bela lives on the line and with your many trips, I, I hope that that we will we will also meet. So Absolutely. I'm going to let you take it away now. What an introduction. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's really great. And we're so excited. I know I'm very excited for you to uh, launch this new book. It's uh, I yeah. love the first book, The Takeaway Men and uh, Shadows We Carry is such a great follow up to it. And I can't imagine anyone doing a better job of being so thorough and tying up every single loose end from the first book. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. But you really, I mean, honestly, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. But I think um, if people want to read it at a, as a standalone, they can do that. I mean, I love for them to read the takeaway men first, but I really don't think you have to. Do you think so? I, I would agree, Meryl. Um, I I read them both, of course, but I. one of the things I like about a series is when you can read each as a standalone. So I would recommend that if people want to treat, they should read them both, why not? But um, but they don't need to. The Takeaway Men certainly stands by itself and you give enough of the background. I, I also want to join with Bela in congratulating you on this um, exciting venture. And um, I was struck, and there, we're going to talk a lot about the book, but I was struck particularly by how well you you brought us to the time and articulated the time for me, because that's the time I grew up. The sisters are three years older than I am. So I grew up when they grew up. And it um, at one point you had one of the characters went into the basement and was opening a closet. And I thought, oh yeah, that's where they store the suitcases. And then I laughed thinking, <laughs> not every family stores the suitcases there. And, and you then described <laughs> the blue, the blue Samsonite suitcases. And I thought, <laughs> okay. And over and over again, I had that. So it was, in addition to being a wonderful novel, it was really a visit to my childhood. And that was fun for me. Um, you don't have to be in your 70s to enjoy the book. Younger people certainly would too. But um, <laughs> but for those of us who grew up in that era, it really resonated even more, I think, a little. So yeah, congratulations. Thank you, Randy. I totally agree with Randy in terms of bringing us to that place, you know, we are of our uh, our, our, our development years, I would say, developmental years. Mm -hmm. uh, I know, you know, I, I also am a little bit younger than, than uh, Branca and Jojo. I, I was in a junior high school when JFK died, not in high school, but not much, and the, not much difference in terms of the times mm -hmm. and in terms of the events that take place during the story. It really was how I grew up, how I experienced high school and college, and it was wonderful to go back and experience that again especially through the eyes of the two characters. Well, thank you. And, and one of the reasons that, one of many reasons why I started where I did was because, um, you know, 1968, 69 were years of terrible, terrible political and cultural turmoil in this country. And I wanted it reflected and we are not going to get political, but I also wanted to set one of the twins' experiences who has an unplanned pregnancy uh, in the years before Roe v. Wade was uh, passed in, was by the Supreme Court in um, January 1973. So I wanted it, um, I wanted all, all those factors to be there. And um, I'm glad that it resonated with you, and I, I hope it will resonate for people of all ages. One of the uh, reasons I wanted to write about it was a look back for those who experienced it, but also um, younger people who 
the, the next generation who didn't know what it was like. It was really a very hard fight uh, for women's rights and and it's and it's still going on. Um, so I was wondering if there was anything in particular that that resonated with you uh, during that time period. For me, it was Branca's journalism quest. Um, I was I spent a lot of time being in meetings where I was the only woman in the room um, in the early days of my career, and um, and it's so hard to to give that feeling to the younger women who who are coming up who who certainly haven't have experienced other hurdles I'm not saying life is easy for anybody these days um, but but that particular hurdle they don't they don't necessarily have yeah. and and it was um, that spoke to me I think you articulated it really well um, and in many cases where people didn't mean harm there were certainly people who did, but in many cases, where the men in, in her her colleagues who didn't even mean harm, but they just didn't know how to how to be with her, and that that spoke to me a lot. And her her desire to to break out and to do more than just the women's things and the cooking shows. This is a woman who didn't know how to cook, and they just immediately assumed she could do the cooking the cooking column, and <laughs> and nobody thought that was odd, you know. <laughs> Because that's what women because um, that's what women were able to do, and it was only because the other guys couldn't couldn't make it because it was a Saturday that she got this big break, and and that those kinds of things happened all the time. You know, it was a novel, and it's fiction, but it resonated with real life over and over again, and that I think was a a, a real taste of what what the era was. Um, I had occasion to go to a little league game the other day, and my twelve-year-old friend. Um, there's a girl on the team, and afterwards I said to him, "You need there's a girl on your team." And he says, "Yeah, like, like, like as if I said there's a blonde on your team, there's a blue-eyed kid on your team." I mean, he just couldn't get what I was even asking him about. And of course, in our day, there's a woman journalist. Oh my God! So it was. Um, I think that really spoke to the times and how much progress, at least in that area, has been made since then. I agree with that. I think also um, the, the struggle is there. It's just taken a different direction, I believe. I mean, I, I know for my daughter and daughter-in-law, the choice of being with their young children, you know, staying home and doing that or working is, you know, partially a choice, but partially they feel they need to for financial reasons. And they find, you know, they're still the, in many ways, still the one that is relied on in their relationships more heavily to take mm -hmm. care of children and the home, even though they share it and their husbands are great. They're certainly far more helpful than my husband. Absolutely. <laughs> still, a lot of that burden still falls on their shoulders. And now they're expected to do the work outside the home as well and to be yes. able to handle both. So there's still that struggle going on. And I, you know, and I think that um, I, I, younger women might be surprised to learn that, it, you know, for them, they may, they may feel things and feel like, oh, this really hasn't changed that much. Yes, I can go into the workplace. That part is great. But in terms of my own personal struggle with it, still there like jojo i yeah. mean she she yeah. still do those things and i think that some younger women still feel that kind of struggle i think i think absolutely you know i recently um 
reread The Feminine Mystique by Betty Friedan, which was published in 1963 and which is credited as ushering in the second wave of feminism. And, you know, her thing was the malaise that has no name, that there were all these women. And she was really basing it on her uh, friends and, and fellow alumni from Smith College, which I don't think was necessarily the norm, but but many, many women felt that way. But um, so a lot of, there were women who had to work for financial reasons, but her group uh, did not. And um, she, articulated this, you know, how it was just such drudgery and 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 such a terrible thing mm-hmm. um, to have to be home. But I think you're making an interesting point that this generation really has to re readjust that thinking and that and that sharing as they are, you know, for the most part, um, in the workplace now, do, doing the jobs that only men had sixty years ago. So, so that that is that is really um, that's interesting. You do bring up a good point, Bela, which is the um, you know the lean in, lean out um, type of thing um, that that it is now an expectation that you'll have a career and um, also keep a lovely home and raise two. Point three fabulous children and a dog, and 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 definitely and, a dog, absolutely, especially a dog, a dog one, right? At least, which requ- one. <laughs> at least one, which requires more care than a baby sometimes, and um, and and I think that there's pressure now that we didn't face in some ways to to be to be all of it, um, and that so somebody needs to write a novel about that, but. But that's not Jojo and Branca. Maybe they're children. I, f- I forget the name. Oh, I'm embarrassed. Wow. Maybe there's a there's a novel in there, uh, Meryl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd like to get on to some of the other things. Yes, please. I'm so fascinated with Father Stan. I love that character. I loved the the, the conflict around it for uh, Branca. And I loved his story, his backstory, which you said is from uh, a, an actual person. Yeah, um, it's loosely based on, on this story um, of, a, of a priest who was given away, not away, given for safekeeping really to a Catholic couple in Poland during the Holocaust. And they were, murdered and and he was raised uh by this family and he didn't always kind of wondered why you know he didn't look like um the rest of the family and and he was raised in in poland and um i i I made my character um come to the united states and become a very prominent priest but but that you know that that's one of the themes that runs through the book, The Shadows Mm. We Carry. Honestly, I wanted the title to be The Weight of Genes, G-E-N-E-S. And my publisher just said, um, it sounds like a nonfiction book, but I, you know, there was that book by Mm. Rachel Kaddish, The the Weight of Ink. And I just thought the weight of genes was really, what the point that I wanted to make, but everybody on her team loves shadows we carry. And, and now I actually like it. And 
yeah. I, I went to Yisker yesterday and the rabbi actually incorporated, you know, shadows we carry. He said, we all, pardon, but we, we all have shadows we carry. Uh, so, you know, that I, I, I wanted to explore that through the various uh, characters, um, through obviously Branka and Jojo, whose um, father was, you know, a Jewish Holocaust survivor, the mother who uh, was a righteous Gentile who saved him, but the, and is practicing Judaism, but never officially converted. Um, and uh, through the son, of the former Nazi, you know, is he responsible for the deeds of his father because he has his bloodlines? And of course, um, the priest, is the priest Catholic or is he Jewish? And you'll have to read the book too <laughs> to get the answers to all those questions. But those, those are very uh, important questions to me. And I think, you know, that today, um, with all this emphasis on, on DNA testing, um, it's really a question, you know, is it nature versus nurture? I mean, does it really matter what your DNA is? So is it the family um, that gave birth to you or the family that loved you? I mean, this has always been an issue for, you know, adoptive families, but now it's, it, it, it's a big issue. And um, I think it's fascinating and I wanted to explore it. And I like the way um, you had, I, I won't give it away, but I love the way you ended with him. I mean, you, you kept us on our, on the edge of our seats, but I think you were, you were true to his integrity, the way you built him. Yeah, um, I, I felt I had you sure what was, I really wasn't sure as I was writing it, what was going to happen. But, you know, they say the characters start talking to you and telling yeah. you where they want to go. And, um, Again, read the book and you'll find out what happens. You'll find out. Understand. <laughs> I was curious about why um, you had the mother never having converted. Why you chose to have that in the book. Um, I had that because um, the question of who is a Jew um, has fascinated me for a long time. And I remember when I was first married, we were at a wedding on Stuart's family side. And, you know, it was a Jewish wedding. Um, the, the bride had a Jewish name. The bride was his cousin, second cousin. And uh, the groom was Jewish and they got married under a chuppah. And, uh, you know, we were at the reception and there was dancing and all of a sudden the band strikes up a polka well i don't think that i've been at <laughs> even 50 years later i've ever been at a uh jewish wedding where they played a polka so i i just turned to my mother-in-law and i said like what's with the polka and she says well, you know, Jen, Jeanette is not really Jewish. So that was the, the bride's mother. And I don't know, that's just stuck in my head.
for all these years, but she she made a Jewish home. She raised her children oh. as Jews. And I mean, now I know that um, reform and reconstructionist consider the, the children uh, Jewish if they have a parent who's Jewish and the children are being raised as Jewish. And yeah. obviously the Orthodox don't, the conservative movement is still, I doesn't, but I think they grapple with it as there's more than 70% intermarrying today. And it's just always been fascinating to me to ask the question, what is a Jew? Because in the book, Judy is really a very, a very good Jew. Yes. Not yeah. a technical Jew. And I just wanted to throw that question out there for readers and groups um, to think about. I tried to throw it out in the takeaway, man. And, you know, I, I did about 80 virtual programs for the takeaway, men, And um, very few even discussed it. I, I think it's such an important question. Oh, wow. It is an important question. And, I, I, and it... And it's so in character for, I forgot the husband's name, to Judy. Aaron, Aaron. Aaron. Not to, he was so good at putting everything under the rug. <laughs> Isn't that right? Told her she was Jewish and that was it. That's it. He's done. But it's so interesting that he, you know, of all the things he was so uh, particular about everything else and about That's that. The thing, yeah deal with with what he had done or what he hadn't done or, you know so he just let it continue like that he he could have done something about it and he absolutely just he could have he could have so you'll you know you'll read the book and <laughs> with her but i and i i i liked that you had to the twins, because each of them could deal with those situations differently and that was that was fun um to have them having grown up in the same household under the same shadows uh, and each of them dealing with them differently and coming out as different people so that you could you could almost write two 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 novels at once in in some ways of course you know you had the relationship between the two of them which is lovely and beautifully written i thought but it was nice to be able to have two two siblings who each took a slightly different path so that you could you could see how how the same experience, how each of us could have the same experience and respond to it differently. And that I thought and, was and fun one to of read. The reasons, um, which I, when I wrote the takeaway men I shared was that I did twins because my husband is an identical twin. And I, I mean, now they don't, you can, you can tell them apart, but for years they just looked the same. In fact, um, my brother-in-law was the best man at our wedding. And when he walked down the aisle, even though I made him wear a pink shirt, you know, in the, <laughs> the 70s, um, people laughed because they looked so much like him. There were people who gave him envelopes at the wedding. So even though they are, I always say they have the same container, but really different souls, different characters, different values. And um, I, I, I really thought that's why I, I thought the, the twins would be a, a good vehicle uh, for the story. You had experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it was a very good vehicle in both books. It was. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I liked them. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, so do we want to um, 
talk about uh, some of the other themes in the book, um, anti-Semitism. Yeah, I think that, I, you know, so the thing, a couple of the themes is so, sadly, I'll say that, you know, so mm -hmm. prescient that you wrote about these things and you didn't, the anti-Semitism, I think we were feeling for a while. So that's not so surprising, but the, you know, the whole uh, abortion issue too, it's just, you know, like you just happened to write about that. And uh, I wrote the first draft before um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And then oh. I actually had the first draft into the publisher with the author's notes where it said it became the law of the land in, in 1973. And I had to actually rewrite it. And that, oh, yeah. that really <laughs> was very troubling. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I mean, you know, the, the and the anti-Semitism, you know, I guess that, for our generation, I don't think that we ever can really feel comfortable, you know, with, with everyone. No, I mean, I don't know. I personally, I, I, I know there are people who are, who don't know, you know, ignorant people who, who are anti-Semitic and that, and they always will be, and I can't prevent that from happening. But I feel like maybe my kids really didn't think that this was something they were going to experience firsthand. And I, you know, and I'm afraid that now, now it is. So Bailey, you and I spoke about this briefly the other day when we were on the phone and I, we had such different growing up experiences about it because I, I knew it happened in the world, but it didn't happen where I lived. And so I, I had, I think some of the same experiences that you're thinking maybe your kids had. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew it was happening out there and out there was even parts of the US. I mean, you know, I knew that, but I, I lived in very, you know, I grew up in, in New York City. And even though I lived in Boston, I lived in the Boston suburbs that were, that were perfectly welcoming to Jewish communities. And then I moved to the Bay Area of, California, I, you know, I live in, in places that are very welcoming and, and agreeable to having large Jewish communities and they're happy that we're here um, for the most part. Um, but, but these days, I think it is so much more rampant in the last 15 years, perhaps, I, you know, that, that you can't avoid it anymore. And it, and it, it's such a part of of the what's happening in this country. And I know we aren't to get political, but I think this is a big piece of what's happening right now in the US. And, and so having the, um, again, the experience of what was happening in, um, I, um, in Fatherland Gardens, what a name. Uh, that based um, on a real community called German Gardens. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh my God. I'll tell you about that. Finish what you're saying. Go ahead. But so that, that experience, um, which I think if I, if I had read this book 10 or 15 years ago, I would have thought, oh yeah, that's a nice little historical blip, like the blue Samsonite luggage. But, <laughs> it, you know, now it's Pittsburgh and it's Charlotte and it's next door. And so I, it really, um, was frightening in a way that, again, I don't think it would have been had I read this book, had you written it and had I read it 10 or 15 years ago. So it, 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 it's a little scary. It's actually very scary. So can I, you tell us about the, about the historical? Uh, yeah, so now I want to know. Jason Merrill? <laughs> um, 
Oh, oh, yeah. So uh, I, I agree with you. And I, I just think in the last few years, it's really escalated. Um, they, I, I don't have the report in front of me. I should have had it. But I mean, the, 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 the reports are that they, it, it, it's really um, escalated ex exponentially. I don't remember the exact percentages, but it's, it's, it's way more. Mm. It, it was way more in, in 22 than it was previously. So, so I think that's a problem. So another little historical fact um, that I became aware of in researching was that there was a community in Yapank, you know, where Yapank is, Bela and Randy, it's all the way out in Suffolk County. Okay. German Gardens. And you needed, and this is in my notes at the end, you actually needed until 2017, you needed proof of German ancestry to move in there. And it, prior to the US entering the world, world War II in 1941, um, there were um, Nazi street names, the Hitler Strasse was the was the main the the main uh, road there. People displayed swastikas, but but the really heinous thing about it was that there was a German uh, youth camp uh, which uh, indoctrinated um, American kids into being good. Nazis. And actually, there was a play that was on Off-Broadway. And again, I wrote the book before the I knew about the play or anything mm -hmm. was already, um, you know, being published. Uh, it was called Camps uh, Siegfried uh, by Bess Wall. And it ran, I, I don't know, a little less than than two months um, about about this camp and the play was about um, two young people who fell in love and the Nazi leaders were trying to encourage it because they wanted them to get married and breed more Nazis. Um, so this is, this is, I you know, deeply, deeply rooted. I and mean, there were also Nazi cells in Lindenhurst, um, you know, so it is on Long Island, and, and but but you just you just never you never heard about it, and I'm very frightened about this whole explosion of neo Nazism because I I yes. remember um, do you remember in the seventies with the whole um, issue about the march in Skokie, you know? Oh but, yes, yes. You know, so that was I think in the late seventies, and. Uh, you know, I, I really, we really haven't heard about it that much, but it just, it seems like there is a um, renaissance, unfortunately, of it now. And I'm not exactly sure why, but it's really, it's really very, very frightening. I, I think it's something that, you know, a survivor like um, Aaron, lived with because he experienced it but we you know and and I grew up in 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 Queens which was probably right. yes. you grew up in Brooklyn and you know my mother had um grown up in a small New Jersey town with very few Jews 
And uh, she told me she was playing with her friend once and her friend said, you know, you, you killed Christ. And my mother said, no, I didn't. And, and she started crying. I mean, she didn't know what she was talking about. And the girl said, oh, okay, I believe you. And then they, they went back to play. But I think that was one reason why um, my parents were determined to move to a neighborhood that had uh, a big Jewish population. So where I grew up, it was very few Protestants. It was, you were either Jewish or Catholic. It was about half and half and we all we all got along beautifully and the, and there was no anti-semitism at least that i was aware of yeah I, I i mean i think you know i grew up in massachusetts which is what randy was referring to and i we always experienced it somehow some way we, we, we ignored a lot of it we just you know put it down to people's not knowing mm -hmm or understanding us but there were always people who said something about like dirty jews or use the word kike or said things that just you would just run across it wasn't like an everyday occurrence but it was around enough for us to understand that there were people who didn't like us just because of who we were and i you know i think it it does uh you know the response to that at least you know from my family and from my you know who are the people that i grew up with was uh what what uh uh, made uh, or created uh, liberal Jewish communities because we understood other people's pain and suffering and we wanted to help them, you know, in the ways that we were helped and then the ways that we, you know, beca became, uh, you know, able to do the things that we do. And so we, I, you know, I, I just think it, it, you know, that's, that's what our response was. Our response was, well, we can make the world better and we can, we can do this in a better way. And so we ignore those people and go on and try to help other people that we see have that struggle as well. And, you know, I don't really know what else you can do about it, but I do think Meryl that part of what uh, brings it up now and, and allows it to thrive is the internet. I'm sorry to say, you know, for all yeah. the things of the internet, there's also that negative part of it. And there's that underworld of people who never had a place to express all the negative things, have, have a, a platform for doing that. And that's very unfortunate. That and 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 we hear about it. I mean, we had to hear about Skokie on on the six o'clock news or the eleven o'clock news. But when Skokie was happening, I was already asleep by the eleven o'clock news. There was so no you, cable. <laughs> there was no cable. There was no twenty-four hour news. There was no internet. So Skokie happened. It was a very big deal in the Jewish community. We heard about it. Um, from on, on the pulpit and we heard about it on the six o'clock news and we heard about it in the New York Times but then it was done um, there weren't millions of articles happening about it so when Pittsburgh happened um, the shooting in the Pittsburgh synagogue just in, I think 2018 or 19 I can't remember exactly that we heard about every single minute I mean we that was on cable 24 hours and and because I'm involved in, as we are, as both of you are in the Jewish community, it was coming out in every Jewish press and they're all on the internet. I mean, I don't usually read the Pittsburgh Jewish news, but, but of course I was, you know, and it was there on the internet. And, and so you heard about this every minute. And, and so the, it, it kept, it kept top of mind. And, and I think that just encouraged other people who it encouraged us as a Jewish community to come together. I mean, 
I went to synagogue that following weekend and, you know, the, the sanctuary was full. And I don't know about your synagogues, but my synagogue's not always so full on a Saturday morning, <laughs> um, but it was full. Um, and, um, but, and that was good, but it also, um, it, it gave, it gave motivation and legitimacy to somebody in some other community who was thinking about shooting up their synagogue. And it, and I think the explosion of, of social media, which has some wonderful things. I mean, I'm a big social media person, um, as Meryl knows, but, but I think that it's I met you guys through yeah. social media. So exactly. I mean, here blessing. we are. So, but but it's it there's there's that big downside to it that's very, very scary. And they, but interestingly enough, back to your book, Meryl, all of this was happening um right after the war, after they knew what horrible things could happen if you allowed this to go on. Um and 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 without the internet, and it was still this this huge thing. I mean, the the press was all there. I mean, when her boss, when Bronca's boss sent her, he didn't expect it to be this big deal. He was he was sending her on this little assignment. You know, go fix, go cover this. And it turned out that you know all of the press was there, and it was a big deal. So even then, it was um, they were trying to to make it a big deal at least. Well, you know, it was it was Sunday, so there wasn't that much going right. on. I think that was, you know, actually why why she got she got sent. But um, yeah. But I yeah I uh, but I do you know it's it it's interesting. You're the the what happens in the book I think is is of interest to readers now because of how it was handled and and where that news traveled to versus what happens today when when something like that occurs and so it's I think it's interesting and it puts it in some historical perspective for people to understand really you know what the world was like and how controversial issues were handled then as as compared to now and I you know that's what I think we all love about historical novels anyway is that we we get to look at a different time period and how things have changed, you know, for the better and sometimes for the worse. And, you know, we get to compare those things. And um, so I appreciate people like you, Meryl, who do that research, you know, <laughs> and, and even though it's, a, 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 you know, in part, it's a time that we experienced, but we didn't, you know, look at, to research the depths of it the way that you did. And I appreciate being able to read a book that has that history in it for us to learn from. Thank you so much. I also thought there was, I liked, I didn't like that it happened, but I liked the way you you articulated the the fact that the U.S. even the U.S., which we think of as such a good hero in the the era of World War II, um, was not so interested in finding and persecuting Nazis who had made it to the U.S. and were living, um, you know, living uh, under the radar. And that I think that's something that. Um, not everybody knows, and certainly I think most of your non-Jewish readers wouldn't wouldn't necessarily know was had was going on at the time, and that um, and it wasn't you didn't make a whole big deal about it, but it's but it's in there nicely, and I think that that's a big important thing that um, that the issue of communism versus Nazism after the war um, 
and how one took over from the other. And I, I just like that that got mentioned and got consideration in the book. Thank you. And it really wasn't until the, you know, the late 1970s and due to the efforts of, of Elizabeth, uh, representative Holtzman. Elizabeth Holtzman, um, and mainly her, but others as well, um, where the OSI, the Office of uh, Special Investigations was created, which was in part of um, the United States Department of justice and then there was a whole you know protocol and method for bringing former nazis to justice but you know we're talking about um more than 30 years after the war was over and the dirty little secret is that the united states actually invited um top scientists to come and to work in uh, at Los Alamos, Alamos. And, and in the um, in the in the space program, and they just you know they lived in plain sight, and they just they just looked away because, as you said, Randy, the whole emphasis was on communism. The minute the war was over, you know, the Nazis were defeated, and 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 then it was all about communism. Uh, so I think our time is drawing to a close. Does anybody have anything else you would like to say or add to our one, just, such a wonderful conversation? <laughs> I, I just knew that, that it would be. Thank you. Thank you. And Meryl, I do want to say I'm an avid listener of your podcast. I know Bela is too. And I look, was just looking the other day when I was wanting to load my Kindle. Um, so many of the books on my to-be-read list are books that I come home because I tend to listen in my car. Um, so I come home though and I, I write that quickly um, the books that I that I've been introduced to on your podcast. So you you're with me even when I'm not listening because so thank many of the books I'm reading come so to me through that. So I wanted to thank you for letting me be part of it. Thank you. Yeah. I agree. And I love listening to your podcast because I think you're a wonderful, you have great interviewing skills and I really love to listen. You ask questions that I wouldn't have thought of and they're really interesting and you go down interesting pathways with all your authors. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. And this is actually a lifelong dream of mine when I was a kid and I saw Barbara Walters oh. and that was she was the only one and who else could be Barbara Walters but I always wanted to have a talk show so now I have a podcast. <laughs> um, okay so um, thank you. Are we, gonna, are we gonna see Jojo and Branca again or um, is this are they done? Um, I feel like I'm done with them but um, okay you know, I'm always open to um, <laughs> the influence of, of readers. I was not done when I finished the first book. As a matter of fact, um, I really didn't think it was over. And I shared everything with my husband, Stuart. And when I got to that part, he said, that's it. That's the end of the book. And I said, no. And he said, that's the end of the book. And, you know, I was happy to be finished with it. So it's... <laughs> Okay, but that was I got comments from many readers. I mean, some of them, a number of them asked for a sequel, but a few of them were like, why did you end it there? It wasn't finished. So I felt that I had to write it. And I did have much more to say about them. Um, do I have more to say about them now? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. So, um,
The book will be out on April 25th. And I, I want to thank Randy Brenowitz and Bela Lovins. And I want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. Uh, People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain, the author of The Takeaway Man. The sequel, Shadows We Carry, will be published on April 25th and is available on Amazon and wherever books are sold. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. I also hope you'll join me for my virtual launch party this Monday night, April 24th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. The links are on Facebook and on my website. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book. <laughs>